On the Empire Podcast this week, we go back and to the left, back and to the left, back and to the left with the legendary Kevin Costner, star of The Highwaymen. I don't want to be in a movie that I couldn't direct, meaning if I feel like it's going south, I need to say something. You know, if, okay. it, it's, if it's like, wait a second, you know, this is not the movie we signed up for. Plus, we go for a Burton with the equally legendary Tim, director of Dumbo. I didn't realize when I responded to Dumbo so quickly, I realized... Well, this is like my story with Disney, you know, this weird little special little weird creature coming to work with a big family entertainment yeah. organization. All that and more in the movie podcast. I was slightly relieved to not find Tom Hiddleston in our kitchen this morning, making his signature dish of raw vegetables with an egg on top, followed by a chaser of brand name vitamins. Now, we love T. Hitty, We love him. But that breakfast can really ruin your day. Harsh. I saw him in Betrayal this week and he's amazing. Was he peddling a brand name vitamin at the same time? Uh, not that I noticed. He was drinking a lot of, like, whiskey. Really? Mm. Mm. Not brand name whiskey. Not brand, and presumably not real whiskey. Uh, real, real whiskey? Otherwise, that's it, real risky to drink real, real whiskey. <laughs> Confusing. On stage. Yeah, and there's a tongue twister. It's anyway. Harsh. Poor Hiddles. Poor T. Hiddles. Poor Hiddles. That, that's gone all over the internet, and I bet he wanted no one to ever see it. Yeah, you're right, I think. <laughs> Should we talk about it? Because um, we love T. Hiddles. We do. And this podcast, he's an amazing guy. He's been on the podcast, I think, more than anyone else. And the next time he's on, we will ask him about this advert. If you don't know what it is, it's an advert. I believe it's a Chinese advert for Centrum, which is a A brand brand name of vitamin. Other brand name vitamins are available, of course. And it's incredible. It's a POV video of a unseen lady who wakes up in her bed one morning and comes downstairs to find a vaguely embarrassed-looking Tom Hiddleston completing a breakfast of what can only be described as a medley of vegetables with an egg on top in the shape of a heart. And he's delivering his dialogue, such as it is, to camera, (laughs) uh, saying things like... Hey, I uh, just got back and made you some breakfast. And every word that comes out of his mouth, oh, God bless him. You can just see it's killing him inside. Yep. And then there's another bit where he sits down at the table and then he's going, is your breakfast nice? Do you like your breakfast? And then he remembers he has to plug the actual vitamin. So he does that in Chinese, okay. uh, in Mandarin, presumably. I'm sure that's very, very, very good as well. And then he leaves the lady at the end and he's all like, hey, I'll call you in a couple of weeks' time and I'm really sorry I got to go. And you know the tragedy of all that? He never came back. You know why? Because Thanos snapped (gasps) his neck. (laughs) So this is my theory that this advert is actually part of the MCU and that (laughs) is actually not the actor Tom Hiddleston. It is Loki, who, as we all know, is the god of mischief. Uh He's up to no good and he has wormed his way into this woman's affections on a diet of egg, vegetables and centrum. It's like a slightly creepy episode of Peep Show, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a very strange one. But the thing is, that they've made a fundamental flaw. Okay. And that is, when you're eating that volume of fresh vegetables for breakfast, you don't need fucking vitamins. That's a good point. Anyway, that was a lovely diversion. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues, two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up, you've heard her already at length, is our, oh. geek. <laughs> is our geek queen. Who has returned after a week teaching teenagers that, hey, winners don't do drugs. And, hey, did you know statues are cool on a whistle-stop tour of Europe? But she's very sad, is our geek queen, Helen O'Hara, because, well, stop all the nipples, cut off the telephone, prevent the dog from barking with a juicy 
Supernatural box set because pretty soon that's all there's going to be. Oh. Supernatural's no more, Helen O'Hara. What's no. happening? I, I know. It's going to finish after season 15, which gives us a few more episodes. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, before we get into this, I'll introduce our second colleague oh. of such lethal cunning. I'm pretty sure I said cunning. He is a man whose knowledge of TV is unsurpassed, which is a good thing because his knowledge of film is very easily surpassed. <laughs> it's James Dyer. Hi, Chris. Who the hell is Dyer? I think we're we past that. <laughs> yeah. I well, Helen wasn't here, and I okay. feel that, you know. Yeah, I, I, I was okay without it, really? whatever it yeah. is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long story. Yeah. So, welcome. Uh, Thank you. And yes. uh, how was Europe? Well, it's good. I was actually teaching them that Nazis are bad, um, principally. I mean, you would think that that would be a given, right? That well, people these would days, learn that these very days, early on. I'm not sure you can you can trust it, but they seem yeah. to get the idea. Um, Did you do so with a slideshow of Steve Rogers punching Hitler? <laughs> I was tempted. No, I tried to keep my Captain America references to a minimum. Okay. Um, just did the whole, you know, the, the, the uh, Dr. Erskine thing, you know, people forget that the first country the Nazis conquered was their own. And where was he from? I'm not sure. <laughs> Somewhere near Bangor, I think. It's like Martin Brennan. Who the <laughs> hell is that? So, yeah. But it was very good. Um, okay. We got snowed on slightly in the Alps. Um, but we were Snowden his... isn't in the Alps, Helen. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying, James. Very quick today, Jimbo. Very is quick. He? I like hmm. that. No, he, he said two funny things. <clears throat> That's well, it. I'm done. Shall I leave? <laughs> yeah, you're quite as good. Anyway... We buried the lead. Supernatural, Supernatural is no more. So will be um, no more. It is still current. It, it, is, yeah. it will not be for it, much longer. As right now, yeah. it is more. Yes. Soon it will be no more. Indeed. It is Schrodinger's TV show. <laughs> the 15th season will be its last. Yes. Yes. And I, I mean, obviously this is traumatic. And obviously 15 seasons is enough, Helen, it's in inverted commas. And a pretty good run, Helen, <laughs> in inverted commas. I don't think that has anything to do with anything. I mean, what am I supposed to do now? Get a real boyfriend? I, it, just doesn't make any, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. What I am interested in, though, is how they can possibly finish this show. Because death is no bar to these people. You can't just kill them off and that's the end. Um, because they just come back to life. Like, they've come back to life approximately I'm not kidding at least a thousand times so I don't know how you give it a final ending because they also don't seem like they'd give up so I don't know what the end will be and I'm intrigued to this find is, out this is the heroes of the show Sam and Ordeen that is correct Sam yeah. and Dean yes oh Dean I Dean and Ordeen. Sam okay that's interesting and uh, they are played by uh, Jared Paddle Eccles and, um, and Jimmy Ackleboom you're missing out Castiel um. They're played by, yeah, he doesn't understand. He's not a brother, is he? Is he a brother? Well, I mean, he's an honorary brother at this point. When did he join? He's been doing it for at least 10 years. Season four, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And this is Wilberforce. W- Misha Collins, That's of course, as, yeah. you, as you well know. He 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 gripped Dean Titan, and raised him from perdition. I beg your yeah. pardon. That's true. <laughs> I he beg did. your pardon. That's the phrase. Oh, my word. I That's never come up in my Google search. <laughs> ah, you just weren't looking for Destiel, which I, is their portmanteau name. I, I, I usually just I miss Meg. Meg was good. Meg Who? was good. Yeah, Meg was Meg was. Meg was character. a demon. I James's also, favorite is obviously a yeah, demon. I like Meg. I also like Mog and Owl. <laughs> right. I'm not sure I'm talking to either of you anymore about this. This is no. an important subject, no. and you're being disrespectful. I feel your pain. I feel Thank your you. pain. The finale of Supernatural. Yeah. Obviously, has been nipple based. Finally, at long last, all their nipples come home to roost. Fifty foot wide nipple. Super nipple. Like imagine, you know that scene in. Yeah. Everything you always wanted to know about sex, but, but we're, we're afraid, afraid to, to ask. Right, with the boobs. With the boob, and right. you know, yeah. that, but with a giant nipple, and mm. Sam and Ordeen have to have to fight it, I'm, along with her friend, I mean, Destiel. I, I just feel like maybe you've built up in your mind the importance of nipples in this show, like, disproportionately. Just a possibility. I'm just throwing it out there and see if it waves. I... <laughs> 
I, I think I think I mean that's possible. Who uh, knows with the finale? They've been to heaven, hell, knows. purgatory, other dimensions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all bets are off. Absolutely, uh, very very sad times indeed. Uh, but let's take a question, shall we? Have a question. Sure. Forty five minutes into the podcast, let's take a question. <laughs> and this question, I think, given what we've just said, is somewhat apt. It comes from email. It comes from Andrew Basto, and he asks quite simply, "Whose buffoonery can't you sanction?" <laughs> now. I feel I should explain this mm-hmm. for people who don't necessarily know what this is referring to. So, Jim Carrey a few years ago revealed that during the filming of Batman Forever, he and Tommy Lee Jones didn't get on. This is a shock to me. <laughs> they seemed like they'd be bosom buddies. I know. They seemed like they'd be like Castiel and Destiel. Somehow they would be smushed together. But no, it wasn't like that at all. It was like uh, chalk and oil. It was like cheese and coal. They just didn't go together at all. So... At one point, Jim Carrey recounted this, I think, on the Howard Stern show. At one point, they found themselves in the same restaurant. I believe it might have been in Vancouver or L.A. whilst they were, they were filming the movie. And uh, Jim Carrey went to walk past Tommy Lee Jones's table and maybe said something funny to him or whatever. And Tommy Lee Jones beckoned him across. He leaned in and he said, very simply, the greatest sentence any human being has ever uttered. I cannot sanction your buffoonery. And that was it. <laughs> and that is amazing. That's quite so, the burn. It is quite the burn, isn't it? Like, what do you do with that? I guess I'm an acquired taste in Tommy Lee Jones. You laugh riot. Um, <laughs> so this is the question from Andrew Basto. And I think if I'm interpreting this question correctly, whose buffoonery can't you sanction? People at home right now are yelling at the podcast going, you, you raging idiot. But mainly, let's talk about famous people comedians and such and and film people. James, I think this question is made for you. Just start listing people. <laughs> start with Adam Sandler and Will Ferrell in between. And, and we'll Go for just, it. I, just, I, I think my problem is I can't sanction buffoonery, I think, is, is, <laughs> is the difficulty I have. Because I think so that's exactly right. Like, while I like some, I find some things funny, buffoonery in particular, I do not find funny. <laughs> okay, define buffoonery. It's It sort of has the ring of sort of slapstick, sort of, slightly madcap physical comedy stupidity Mugging. like yeah just just sort of like silly humor ridiculous stuff. so jim carrey who's basically his his entire raison d'etre at the time was just yeah. he lived to get laughs yeah and he would do anything yeah. anything to get a laugh it's incredible that you and i are friends really isn't it <laughs> given the buffoonery i yeah. sanction myself every day because yeah. I, I i work with you maybe perhaps that's it perhaps i was a laugh riot before i came to empire and steadily <laughs> you've just burned it out of me with your constant <laughs> inanity no. I, don't, I don't believe it no. no 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 i don't think that's true at all you know like in in like comics when like a mutant like channels so much energy it burns the power out of them that's basically what's happened like chris is just with so much shit humor over so many years mm. he i've now lost the ability to find things funny yeah i don't think chris is the rogue to your carol danvers if really? i'm honest no really, really <laughs> good don't. good thank reference yeah, like it you. well I mean, you, you've mentioned them already like will ferrell is one of mine I, I cannot sanction his buffoonery i do not find him even remotely funny i find him i find him problematic <laughs> no uh, buffoonery sanctioner are you <laughs> no just none of that steve martin is another one what? Oh, i know i know oh and i know this is a problem area for me but i i find there's something that just just doesn't work for me. Okay, Martin. show you're working out. I just, I, I, that's it. That's all I've got. I just so, even when he hosts the Oscars, there's a part of me that's just like I've got a, like twitch in my eye. You know, what? I can't. can't what about really Roxanne? One it. of the smartest, sweetest rom-coms of all time. I mean, he stole yeah. it all from Serena de Bergerac. Let's be honest. But yeah. I still love it. No write that screenplay. Did he? Practically. Did he? I mean, genuinely. I mean, did he? Did he though? Well, it was did he though? Rush four, wasn't it? it was wasn't Serena who Jeez. wrote it? And then you know, David Spade, Rob Schneider, Paulie Shaw, any of that lot. 
I would, um, I would say Rob fair. Schneider. I have to say mm. that he'd be on my list. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that. That is fair. I mean, he has made one unparalleled masterpiece, Juice Bigelow, European Gigolo. But apart from that, his <laughs> movie output ain't exactly something to write home about. Helen, I meant Ross Stein, not Ross Farrow. I know, I'm, I'm ashamed. I overlooked it deliberately. I didn't want to correct you on the I just, podcast. I just wanted to be upfront about that because I do love that. Anyway, um, it's just that really kind of frat boy, nerdy, boring humor. I, I don't mind. I don't mind a Will Ferrell because I think he's clever. Mm. I, I don't. I don't like stupid humor. That's stupid. No. Like Steve Martin is clever comedy. Like genuinely clever. You watch The Jerk. That's a superbly clever film. And to be honest, look, Rob Schneider could probably, you know, get a laugh out of an audience quicker than any of us. But like, oh. But he, like, they're, they're kind him. of almost universally held in that. Like, he and Paulie Shaw and David Spade, there's a... Paulie Shaw is, it's yeah, generally he's accepted. also... Diff- I actually don't love Pee Wee Herman, I'll be honest. Neither do I. Um, no, nor do I. Okay, well, no. maybe we should agree on Pee Wee. Definitely don't go to the cinema yeah. with him. We do not <laughs> sanction his buffoonery. I quite enjoy Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but everything else after that is no. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't get it. It's like, yeah, I, I think I've said this in the podcast before, but I don't get Weird Al Yankovic. I just mm. don't. Oh, no, some of those are funny. Really? Yeah. I mean, the last time I said that, some people wrote in, they were irate. Mr. Bean, don't understand it. Hugely popular. I do not get it. He's no Edmund Blackadder. I, I just, I don't understand what's funny about Mr. Bean at all. Wow. That's I mean, the early stuff. How do we even start? The earlier, funnier stuff before Bean went dark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw some other names at you that I okay. think might be contentious and people okay. might have problems sanctioning their buffoonery uh, of Sanctioning late. your buffoonery? Hey, come on now. Sack Galavanakis. Where do we stand on him? I'm neutral. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think he has it in him to be sometimes great and sometimes I find him very tiresome. Okay. Mike Myers. Oh. Well, I mean, I ad- adored the early funny ones. I genuinely had to go back and watch his films after The Love Guru to make sure I hadn't, like, I was like, Mm. was this guy ever funny? Like, was I imagining all the laughs before? How could the guy who made this have made anything good ever in the world? (laughs) He Um, has been funny. But he has. He has been funny. I went back and checked. I checked the receipts. Wayne's World was funny. The first Austin Powers was funny. I don't Mm. love Austin Powers, but I I really liked him weirdly in So I Married an Axe Murderer. Oh, yeah, he's good in that. Also very, very good. I think the thing about Mike Myers is that he lapsed into a shtick. Mm. Uh, He found something that worked for him. If you look at his performance style in the Austin Powers movies, and even Wayne's World, in fact, generally, if you look at his performance (laughs) style. But I, I saw The Cat in the Hat recently, or at least large chunks of it again, I fell into a YouTube rabbit oh, hole. Boy. It was just, it was horrible. And I started watching bits of Cat in the Hat and was reminded of the horror and the love guru. And he has this very interesting, very recognised by Mike Myers performance style where he mugs an awful lot. He looks at the camera, even though he's doing it in different voices, whether mm-hmm. it's Austin Powers or Dr. Evil or the Cat in the Hat or I can't even remember the name of his character in the love guru. Uh, <laughs> he will look at the camera. He will mug. He doesn't seem to care what his co-stars are doing. <laughs> And that developed over time, and but I think there's a there's a real purity of in the original mm. Wayne's World and the first Austin Powers. Although I love Goldmember as well. Uh, Jim Carrey, where do we stand, Jim Carrey? Has it in him to be great? Um, I actually liked him in Batman Forever. So <laughs> hey, what Terrible do I know? Film, but yeah, he's, he's he's okay in it. It's it's no Batman and Robin. Though. I mean, it's so close. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's so close. It, honestly, it gets a pass from me just because Robin says, holy rusted metal, Batman. Yeah. Oh, he does. <laughs> That's, That's the only <laughs> and, that, and that made me laugh. And the U2 song as well. 
I like the U2 yeah. song I, a lot. Yeah. Yes, one, I the, am... one of their best. Yeah. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, friendly word to be sound in his buffoonery. Do we... Laugh Riot. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> He's amazing. My kind of comedian. Yeah. Have you ever interviewed Tommy Lee Jones? I, I have not had that unique torture. <laughs> I no. Have, I have. <laughs> I have ducked that bullet. He's um, like the El Capitan of interviews, isn't he? He's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't do it. You don't want to do that without a rope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like Free Solo as well, you know, where normal people look at what Alex Honnold did on, on El Capitan and they go, okay, that looks tough. And climbers look at it and you're like, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Never, ever free climb Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah, definitely don't do that. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just off to interview Tommy Lee Jones. Have you done any prep? No. No. <laughs> no. He'll be fine. I'll danger, wing it. Danger. I've seen most of his films. No. Uh, Don't mention most of his films. Chew you up and spit you out. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> yeah. So Tommy Lee Jones, in case you don't know, is notoriously considered a tough interview. So maybe one day we'll get him on the podcast and you can you can hear that in excruciating detail. Uh, I'm going to throw one person who's a buffoonery right now. I can absolutely not sanction. And I can sanction a lot of buffoonery. You can. Pete Davidson of Saturday Night Live who every time I've seen him on that show, his mere presence baffles me. He is, and I want to be kind to the guy, the least talented member of the cast of that show in its storied history. And I don't really see the point of him. Wow. I don't know who he is. Um, he's the one who used to date Ariana Grande. Oh, oh, in that case. <laughs> thanks, Helen. I thought he doesn't I'd... know who Ariana Grande I is. <laughs> I thought I'll just come up with the most James reference is she, ever. Is she a popular beat combo person? <laughs> she is, yes. She is a, a, a one-woman beat combo. Ah, I see. Um, I just saw him recently in uh, What Men Want. Mm-hmm. He has a small role in that where he is perfectly fine. Okay, <laughs> good. Well, maybe this can be the start of the comeback. Maybe he can... <laughs> his, his Winning Me Round Tour 2019. He's also going to be in the new John Apatow movie, which I believe he co-wrote as well. Hey. So maybe we'll have him on the podcast in a future episode, along with Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> That'll be a fun episode. Right, okay. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, just as Andrew Bastow found... Maybe it is Bastow. Basto? I'm just going to say Bastow. Found to his credit desire, hatred, whatever it is, then you can get in touch via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. You can Facebook us as well, Empire Magazine. Um, no one ever Facebooks us. At least I don't check it. And you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Alright, should we have a guest? Yay! Let's have a guest. And that guest is a legendary, legendary name. It is one Mr. Kevin Costner. Do we need to introduce him any more than that? It's Kevin Costner. You've seen him in films. As I was interviewing him, I went to Madrid this week. You weren't the only one gallivanting around Europe this week. Yeah, but the difference is when I go to a place, I go to places in the place. Whereas when you go to a place, you manage to not go to anywhere in the place. Because I am working. I I arrived in Madrid airport. Uh I went straight to the hotel. Bless you. I interviewed Kevin Costner. Uh Then... You know what I did, Helen? What'd you do? I had some spare time. You know what I did, Helen? Uh-huh. I didn't go to the, what's it called? The Chocolateria San... San... Louis, Louis oh, No, I, I, called him, <laughs> I told him to go to the Chocolateria San Ginés. That's exactly what I was about to say, mm. but arguably with better pronunciation. Probably. I didn't go to that. You know why I didn't go to that, Helen? Because I was finishing editing the fucking Us spoiler special yeah. for these people, these ungrateful whelps mm. listening to this. And what thanks do I get? Well, Chris, um, probably quite a lot, actually, in oh, terms that's, of... That's fair, actually. Yeah, you got I lot. take back the ungrateful whelps <laughs> thing. I think you are all wonderful people. Uh, and do enjoy the Us Spoiler special, which is available right now. But anyway, so I wanted to interview Kevin Costner. Sure. And as I was interviewing Kevin Costner in this hotel room in Madrid, 
And we talked obviously about, you know, films like JFK and Open Range and stuff like that. It kind of struck me that this is a man who's in quite a lot of my favorite films. Like JFK is one of my favorite films. The Untouchables is one of my favorite films. No way. Oh my God, The Untouchables is astonishing. No way out, Mm -hmm. of course. I I love Open Range. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. They're all in there. All the great films. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I love it. I'm not surprised. Uh, He is an incredible actor and has been on the scene for about 35 years now since he really burst through with Silverado back in the mid 80s. He's in countless, countless classic films. This week he crops up in a film that will be largely on Netflix as of today, but also in limited release in cinemas around the country. It is called The Highwaymen, and it sees him play a real-life figure, Frank Hamer, who was a Texas Ranger who teamed up with another Texas Ranger, Manie Galt, played by Woody Harrelson, to track down Bonnie and Clyde. Now, this is a film directed by John Lee Hancock, and it it isn't like most Bonnie and Clyde films. It's not from their point of view. They are barely in this film. They are whispers in their, in their own movie. This is about the hunt to bring them down and, quite frankly, to kill them. wonder how that one works out. Uh, spoiler alert, pretty well. <laughs> Costner was fascinating. Really interesting guy. Very laconic. Likes to talk as well about his movies, which is great because I had a lot of things to talk about. Uh, I will say that because I was in Madrid, I wasn't able to bring a microphone stand with me. So Kevin was holding his own microphone and occasionally you might get a little bit of interference as his hand is running up the shaft. So, please do enjoy. What? <laughs> what? What is it? Why are you laughing, guys? No reason. No reason. Okay. Anyway, please do enjoy this interview with Kevin Costner, but if there are, is some noise, it's because he was fingering the tip. Anyway, here's Kevin Costner. Enjoy. <sighs> oh, of the microphone! Of the microphone! That's what I meant! What did you think I meant? That's what we thought you meant. We Filthy just devils. You being unusually specific. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of The Highwaymen. The great Kevin Costner. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thanks. Good, good, good. Uh, this can't be your first podcast. We were just chatting. Like, I haven't don't done do a lot. An awful lot. You, you asked me off before we went on. Yeah. yeah. I, I really haven't done Adam Carolla, who is a friend, and I, I maybe another one. Just haven't. Is this something you listen to? You know, your, your podcast guy? No. Okay. No. Maybe this will convert you, or maybe send you running yeah, no. and fast in no, the opposite I think, direction. I think you're able to do a much deeper dive on podcasts. I remember you are. the two I did that... They um, kind of they, they were interesting in their own right. Is that they didn't drill down on they they meandered away a com- a good conversation yeah. can and a deep dive is what we will do as best we can within twenty minutes. We could talk about the Highwaymen, which is which is really an interesting film because it, it's 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 a film that reframes Bonnie and Clyde in right. a really interesting manner. In that they're on the periphery of it, and most films about Bonnie and Clyde are celebratory and play up the mythology of Bonnie and Clyde and this doesn't do that this portrays them as they were as very violent people was that was that something that, that drew you to it yeah well you know I, I got the script about 10 years ago and it for whatever reason I liked it but it wasn't I wasn't ready to do it uh, it did uh, I like the 1967 movie a lot mm. uh, I didn't realize though um, until after I agreed to do this the character that was in there that uh, that had my name um, was a composite character okay. of of about three different people, and um, it was so egregious to the widow of Frank Hamer that she um, mm. saw the movie three or four days after it in 1967, went and got Joe Jamal, a famous Texas lawyer, said we're going to go to to Warner Brothers and sue their ass, wow. and they did. And they won for defamation. And she said, "You've destroyed my husband's reputation. He was a he was a hero. Yeah. 
He was an incredibly respected lawman, yeah. maybe the greatest of the Texas Rangers, and you made him a buffoon. Yeah. And they were ashamed what happened. That I, two things, uh, you know, occurred with that. One is, is boy, there's nothing like a woman who, you know, who will go stick up for her man. And yeah. two, uh, that as a filmmaker, I need to be careful because that's a, that's a little tool that, uh, that directors do once in a while. Writers do. They combine. Yeah, absolutely. C- characters yeah. just to make things a little bit easier and we can destroy reputations. Hmm. Uh, in the name of trying to build up Bonnie and Clyde, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, and we and they did at that moment. It was a tragedy. I mean, that's something that's even happened in in your career. You've you've played composite characters. That's ca- that's yeah. true. I did in Hidden Figures. Yeah, you know, I remember saying to the director, "I it was such a well written script, and the part that I was going to play, uh, I, you know, I didn't want to be this squeaky wheel and go. Well, what about my part? You know, I knew it was a supporting part, mm. so I wasn't looking to make it any bigger, but." I said to the director, I said, look, I, it's schizophrenic. And I felt that maybe I would lose the part by saying that to him, you know. Really? Yeah, well, it was, you know, listen, writers, it's it's sensitive. I mean, if somebody said to me a part was schizophrenic, that would, you know, kind of end, it's kind of code for saying you didn't, you know, what's going on here? How mm-hmm. come this is? And he was really quiet, but he was an com- incredible gentleman. And he said, you know, it's funny you say that. He goes, that's the only person we couldn't get the rights to. And so he, I, he's kind of a combination of three people. Right. And I went, wow. Yeah, well, I, I said, it reads like that. I said, if, if, if we can smooth this out, then I can do this part. <laughs> By smoothing out, what do you mean? Did you Well, what happens, it was on- two, the, 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 the three people we're talking about. One was an absolute bigot, another one was a bit of a nerd uh-huh. uh, scientist, and the other one was kind of more, you know, rounded person. And he, he just kind of took the elements from all of them, and it, it read as a confusing character. Oh, wow. Okay. So smoothing that out and uh, ending up with the Al Harrison that you did. That's which, correct. Which is, which is interesting because this character as well, Frank Hamer and Al Harrison and a number of characters you played in your past are straight shooters. Right. They're the sort of people who, you know, plant their feet in the ground and look you in the eye and, and tell you their, right. their truth. And is that something that you've been drawn to right, right from the off? Well, I, you know, you'd like to think that you could be that or that you are that. Um, I've been drawn to, you know, the other side too, to, uh, um, to you know, the, be, uh, play a serial killer and Mr. Brooks or, yeah. or um, you, know, uh, you know, Perfect World or Criminal or... A little three thousand miles to Graceland. I, when characters are fun, um, and I think they have a level of understanding, you know, I like to I like to play them. You know, um, I don't like to play bad guys who are a convenience for good guy to knock down. So they're you know I like them when they're smart and when they're yeah. formidable. With Frank, with Frank Hamer as well, though, there's this notion that the script passed by you ten years ago. Yeah. Why did you pass ten years ago? It just didn't feel right to me. I liked it, but it didn't. I didn't. It didn't feel right for for whatever reason. And um, it it struck me more that it was more right today, obviously, than it was back then. And mm. um, you know, I don't fall out of love with a script. I just is it the time for it? When a script comes by, I mean, you haven't directed for a while now. It's been Open Range was two thousand and three. 
So God, when, I know. I don't know why. I don't, I've enjoyed direct. I've directed three films, but yeah, I, that's probably another decade. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so I was just wondering about that process when a script comes your way. Is part of you? Do you look at it with an actor's brain or I a director's? I kind of look brain? at it with. I think interesting enough with an actor and director's head. I mean, I I don't want to be in a movie that I couldn't direct. Meaning, if I feel like it's going south i need to say something you know okay if it's like wait a second you know this is not the movie we signed up for you know Mm -hmm. okay so yeah i I look at it both ways this is a john lee hancock who directed that's uh, this movie yeah and he wrote the script for a perfect world yes he did Did you form a relationship with him on that movie yeah 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 we 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 stayed in touch in a kind of a long distance kind of way I watched what he was doing. He watched what I was doing. This this felt like it matched up. Yeah, because again, he seems like someone. If you look at his career, he seems like you, someone who is drawn to these straight shooter characters. Yeah, and these stories about. Well, we kind of want that in life, you know. We're you know, it's like, you know, what's appealing about the West? It probably could you could probably you know go forever. You know, and the people who don't like Western say, you don't have to talk one bit about it because they don't interest me at all. But one of the things that interests me is that it's a time in life where people didn't have lawyers to arbitrate their problems. They didn't have publicity people to arbitrate for them. They didn't have agents to do anything. You were out there and you had to make these kind of a lot of a lot of times life and death decisions. You just had to do what was right at the moment. Mm -hmm. And uh and, you know, later on, someone could say, well, you overreacted there. You know, there's, I can tell there's a group of people that have come through here that felt that, um, that there was some other way to handle Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm looking at that and I'm saying, really? Now, what I have to do is, the man I hope I've evolved to, is think a little bit about what their point of view is. Mm. But understanding that, there are people that they wouldn't have survived. Yeah. They wouldn't have. And they would be the first to call foul if somebody in their family was hurt yeah. by a Bonnie and Clyde. Are Westerns, because this is a Western, I mean, you know, Hamer and Gold are called cowboys in, in, in the film. They're on their way out, maybe, uh, part of a dying breed, possibly. But Westerns is something that you've been drawn to throughout your career. Yeah. Right from you know, Silverado onwards. Yeah, and I, and I plan to do more. I really do. I, I just, I think they're complicated, and the good ones are. There's a level. They they, they they appear to be simple, mm-hmm. but there's um, but the 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 more complicated and the simpler they come, the more sophisticated they actually are. They're hard to make, mm-hmm. you know, because um, you just they and the better ones. I think to, it has a lot to do with the language of how people are talking with each other, not not just the yep and nope, and then you're just rushing to the gunfight. There's these. There's these, there's this architecture of being unable to avoid a fight, and like I said earlier, mm. unable to have anybody arbitrate it for you but yourself. Mm. And then you realize that you're tested, and if you're truly watching in the dark, and if as a director, through the writing, you've orchestrated, created an architecture where you go, shit, there is no way out of this. Mm. What am I going to really do? And that is a haunting moment when you're by yourself and you have to wonder would I have done that? Could I have done that? Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that really feeds in. I think, uh, most in terms of the films you've made, um, uh, into open range. 
And the climactic gunfight, for example, in that movie is something that, that lives with Yeah, the, the, the idea that this guy, my character, has been quiet the whole time and let mm. Boss do all the talking. There's a moment where he says, you need to listen to me for a second because I've done this. You know, and the 12, 10 guys over there, most of them won't have killed anybody. That was a very important thing to put out there to the audience. Mm. Most of them over there won't have killed anybody. And that was probably true. <laughs> yeah. But I will know the one or two that have. I'll yeah. just know it. Yeah. And and I think if you're watching that movie carefully, you're starting to sit up more and go, this is really, this is getting really serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this is getting really yeah. serious. And you're going, now I feel like somebody's talking to me as I'm watching the movie that this had to be a little bit like what it was. And, and, and so for me, bad Westerns have the town empty. And you go, well, how the <laughs> fuck did that happen? But for me, I showed the town leaving. Yeah, they knew what was coming. Yeah, they they ran into the hills. Yeah, because there's going to be collateral damage, and that makes sense to me. Mm. A lot of westerns just don't make sense, mm. and so I dismiss them. I don't like them as much as I want to, as much as I want to be thrown into that scenery and that that way of life. Uh, I find them. I find that they put the western back. That was one of the first movies as well to depict gunfights in a realistic way. In that uh, that a notion of you could be ten feet away from someone and miss them because your hand is. Isn't shot. that odd? You know, when you think about how many westerns there have been, and, <laughs> and to think that that was one that was seemed realistic, <laughs> the chaos, yeah, the mayhem, and the people pointing point blank, and the sound of guns so loud that it was deafening, and that there was it was not a it's not a ballet, it's a ballet of death. And and it's and it's scattered and it's random and it's deadly. Just taking you back a little bit. Famously, you were given a pep talk, perhaps, by Richard Burton uh, once. You you bumped into him as a yeah as a, as a, as a yeah. Um, I think more has been. It's true what happened. Uh-huh. Um, it's true that I went up to him, and it's true that he had bought all the seats around him so nobody would do that. And <laughs> I, so I must have been like the mongoose playing with the cobra. Uh, but I was I was drawn because I was. I was making the decisions at that time that I thought that this was going to be the life I wanted. Yeah. And I was drawn to <clears throat> go talk to him. And I know he had kind of a pretty volcanic life, at least, you know, him and Liz Taylor, you know, as, yeah, you know, yeah. so, and, you know, put it could have easily tried to hand me my head going, do you see that I wanted privacy <laughs> and me talking to you will start a landslide of people coming to here. And yeah. I didn't want that. I'll tell you one thing he was doing. He was reading a book by Gore Vidal, Lincoln, at the time. Oh, really? He was actually reading that book, and I was watching him, but I, I felt the need to say something to him, and I did. And we talked a little bit. I had no credits. There was no reason he needed to talk to me. But, um, you know, um, I took him as a sign, and I'm sure he just took me as a nuisance. <laughs> but um, one of the interesting things was um, when um, – I finally landed. They got whisked right through customs. I know that feeling now. So I, I always think of Burton <laughs> just not having to wait or anything. But I went outside and I had to, I was on my honeymoon and I didn't have any money. All our money was spent on honeymoon. So we took the bus back to uh, where we lived and our parents picked us up. And we were sitting on our suitcases out on the outer curb. We were just sitting on them and this. Now we're, we're inches from the road, and this limousine came flying, came sliding right by, and it stopped, and the window rolled down, 
and uh, I don't think I've ever told this part. And he reached out and he leaned out and he said, "Good luck to you." <laughs> and the window went up and away it went. Amazing, blessed, blessed by Burton. You've mentioned that you know you've had this incredible journey in that time. How how have you seen the industry change? This is one of those movies that people say they don't that Hollywood doesn't make anymore. Mm-hmm. A sort of relatively mid-budget, character-based right. drama that you don't necessarily see in cinemas anymore because of the, the big event Yeah, no, they, they, they're unsure how they're going to perform. Yeah. And, and, the, and the audience that seems to be the target audience based on analytical information tells you that the younger audience, 18 to 25, whatever it is, is not going to necessarily go see this movie. Mm. Um, movies used to be watched out of habit. People just went to the theater. Whatever was playing, they saw. Um, you know, so I've, I've, you know, I've, you know, in, in, the, in my time, I've seen it. Um, you know, we we were still, you know, asking people how our, our movies should end. Do our movies go fast enough? You mm. know, what characters we like the most? What scenes we like the most? What scenes we hate the most? And then mm. they go back and tinker with movies. And I'm not that person. I'm not a... I don't tinker with stuff. Yeah. I, if I, I make, I tell the story in a way because I always have the audience on my shoulder. And even if somebody's whispering, people don't want to see that. I'm thinking to myself, you're wrong. They, they may not want to see it, but they need to see this in order for this other thing later on in the movie to okay. have the weight that it needs. Okay. So you're trying to spare people the pain, but what you do is rob them the ultimate feeling that they need to have when when the story's complete uh-huh. and i don't believe in that i believe that that's the the god that they're praying to which is more money believe it or not i think they're shortchanging themselves i think the thing they want the most is tied up in the thing that i believe in the most <laughs> that's interesting i mean is, is that something that's, that's finally right what about yeah. 10 minutes in that's interesting i've said that's interesting several times i've been, <laughs> I've been enthralled since the beginning but is that something that that uh, specifically pertains to parts of your career is that something that you, you could imagine on something like robin hood prince of thieves or Waterworld? obviously there must be that process of focus groups and test screenings and yeah. studio studios want to change things right well the you know there listen a movie can be improved and there comes a, a point in time with a movie where if you can improve it 10 15 percent do it yeah but when you get down to you know Two percent, you know, you're you have to let it go. You have to put it. You have to put it out there. And um, I think, you know, uh, you know, I don't believe in conventional wisdom because I think often everybody's wrong. <laughs> it's your way or the highway, right? Well, it it's no, it's not that. Yeah, it's not that. I I I believe in the literature. Uh-huh. So I, I think movies are kind of sometimes like patients that can't speak for themselves. There's two people talking about the ending, and 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 if you and, and we don't, we're not looking the wire that goes to the respirator, which is the script, which yeah, is yeah, maybe yeah. the movies is choking to death back there, as some executive <laughs> or yourself is talking about you know what we do want or what we don't want, and, the, and I always think that the, the the movie is choking to death over these conversations, going. Uh, uh, what about me? <laughs> and in this t- blitzing, talking back and forth, they've knocked the plug loose. And the yeah. thing is now dying. It's dying because someone has to believe in what the story is yeah. and believe in the moments. And and if if you didn't believe in them when you bought the script, why are you tinkering with them now? 
So yeah. either you planned on doing this all along, mm -hmm. or you didn't know how much I believed in them from the very beginning. Given that you haven't directed them for 15 years, which gives you that that feeling of control, or, yeah. uh, more so than obviously being right. being, a, uh, being an actor, why haven't you directed them 15 years? I don't know. Years? I don't know, because some of the movies I do, they 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 are real they're better in the written stage than they come out in the edited stage because they just sometimes just people they play with the endings they they listen they're not they're not um they're not as strong as they need to be you know in the post production of a movie you know they just can be manipulated sometimes they want their next movie so bad they're willing to listen to someone and feel like that relationship for the future is worth mm -hmm. more than the fight today and is this something that you've always believed? I mean, right from the off, right yeah. from right from the moment that you, you broke through in a no, way in, in no, Hollywood. No, see, that's that's the wrong point to have courage once okay. you have power. You know, I believed in it early on. This is why you didn't work for a while in the eighties. You were waiting for no. I was I was really I really had a lot to learn. I you know just it. I wasn't a person in a position to burst on the scene in my teens or in my 20s mm -hmm. i really need once i decided what i wanted to do i really needed to educate myself and i wasn't very good at first but i loved it so much that i knew i was going to get better once you did burst on the scene once you were making movies like silverado yeah. and no way out and the untouchables of course did did you treat those movies as as a film school in a way were you sitting beside i love every part about it i love yeah. going to work I love preparing. I love to rehearse. I'm a big rehearsal guy. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a lost art in our business that people just, ah, I want to be spontaneous. I think that's code for I just want to do the work the night before <laughs> and then see how I land. You know, I love rehearsal. I love farming the material. And every time I find something new in rehearsal, I realize I always feel like that's the day I've earned my dough. Let me throw a scene at you from your career in, in terms uh, in terms of your rehearsal process right. and how you how you how you prepared yeah. for that role. Right. Uh, Jim Garrison, JFK, one of my favorite films. Right. That incredible long courtroom speech right. at the end, uh, which I imagine took several days to film. Right. How did you prepare for that? Well, I I'm a very slow learner, and so I learned the the whole script about a month before we started filming. That's the way I work. I, I go I go to a movie off book, so I'm ready to rehearse. So, you know, I'm kind of like looking at everybody, you know, why are they holding their scripts or whatever. I <laughs> I have to go there, and I knew that. That It's interesting you point that question out. That movie, that, that's, that scene was scheduled for about three days, and I remember I went in, and... Um, and uh, you know Oliver was there, and we and, and so he said, okay, let's let's rehearse this scene. And I did all I did like all eleven pages, eleven or twelve pages. And Oliver was kind of shocked, and he came over to me. He said, you you know the whole thing. And I said, well, did I miss a part? And he goes, <laughs> and he goes, no, no, you didn't. And he goes, he goes, listen, can you? I said, go to the trailer, relax. I'm going to set up six cameras. And he came back, and I did it, um, I think I did it three times, and we were done by uh, noon. <laughs> and um, then after that, then it was a bit of a disaster. I'll have to come back in another podcast. I'll tell you what that is. <laughs> uh, see, that's one way to guarantee another visit, uh, yep. if this one was any good to begin with. Oh, of course it was, Kevin. But, um, yeah. but no, actually, that turned in a whole other situation. But that I was ready. Yeah, 
I feel the need to try to get it right. You know, um, it's not casual with me. And I think that some people feel like my acting is very natural mm-hmm. and they have no idea. They have no idea how I labor over it, how I have to, to in order to make it seem like it's uh, rolling off, you know, like it's just coming out. But acting as well is about reacting also. That's correct. So if you have figured out beforehand what you're going to do, have there been times when the, what the other actor does throws you for a loop? And how does no, how do you no because it, not really no uh, I listen I I have to do my work by myself and have to have a you know your your job is to tell a story so I have to come to work with a point of view I have to know what the scene's about but by being really ready it means I can do anything once yeah. the scene starts because the actor that only has one way in his mind who's just showed up the night before. Uh, if it's like, well, I, I didn't think that we could do that. Yeah, I, I can. If the guy said, "Hey, we got to do this drunk," I can do it drunk. If we have to do this, <laughs> what happens is, I'm very malleable, but I'm very anal in my in the, the idea of I have to get prepared. Yeah, so that I'm prepared for anything. Yeah, and so for me, what happens is when I'm really prepared. I'm I'm like so ready for a window of opportunity to open up that no one anticipated. I just step right through it. Fantastic. Well, you will have to come back on and tell me about that disaster uh, next time, maybe for Yellowstone next one, whatever this season I two have comes to out. Figure out if this was good for me too. I've been it watching was, you, Kevin. It was good for me. It was good for me. Yeah, that's okay. that's all you need to know. Yeah, perfect. that's all you need to know. Just perfect. come back on. It'll be it'll be fun. Kevin Costner has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you You're so much welcome. indeed. Okay, that was Kevin Costner, and now it's time for a word from our sponsor. And once again, we're delighted that that sponsor is The Economist, the legendary magazine that's now in its 170th year. To put that in context, Empire is pretty awesome. We'd all agree, wouldn't you guys? Yes. Sure, why yeah. not? James sounds like he's at gunpoint right now, but <laughs> he can assure you that Empire is pretty awesome, but we're only in our 30th year. So just imagine what we'll be covering 140 years from now. Presumably Avengers 47. No, this definitely is the end game, we promise. Uh, Spoiler special for that one, by the way, with our cryogenically preserved heads discussing the film is going to be an absolute belter, so do check it out. Anyway, back to The Economist, uh, because we have an incredible offer for Empire Podcast listeners, a free print issue of The Economist for you to hold in your hands and to read with your eyes. It's an incredible offer. It unlocks a veritable treasure trove of articles about economics, politics, entertainment, and much, much more. One article that caught my eye in the most recent edition talked about the insect apocalypse. Oh, yes. In other words, the Thanos-like dusting of many of the world's insects due to, well, basically our disastrous environmental policies, which would, it is thought, unleash chaos upon the globe. The article, entitled Is Insectageddon Imminent?, is actually a bit more optimistic than most articles I've read about this, essentially saying that it's still within our power to stop it from happening, and recent studies that have suggested even a 50% drop-off in the numbers of insects around the world could lead to catastrophe should actually act as a timely warning. As always, I read Economist articles with my movie fan head on, and so couldn't help but think of Saul Bass's astonishing directorial debut and only film as director, Phase 4, in which super-intelligent ants trigger the next phase of evolution. There's still time to stop that from happening, of course. The only Phase 4 I want to see around here is Marvel's. Uh, Anyway, if you want to get your hands on a free print copy of The Economist and stimulate your mind nuggets with all kinds of good stuff, it couldn't be simpler. Just text the word MOVIES. MOVIES. What's the word, Helen? 
Movies. Correct. To the following number, 78070. What's the number, Jimbo? 78770. Seven, <laughs> <laughs> do, do not listen to Jimbo. The word movies to the following number, 78070, and soon you'll be enriching your brain. Can't say any fairer than that. All right, time now for some lovely movie news. What's been happening in the world of movie news? Helen, do you know anything that's happened this week? Have you been keeping your, your eyes open? I've, I've seen some stories online, sure, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. There was a lot of talk about posters this week, about Marvel posters. So mm. first of all, we had Spider-Man Far From Home, where apparently Big Ben is not under construction. <laughs> so once again, Spider-Man messes up the, the timeline. Also, that. also, the London Eye on that poster is at right angles to Parliament, I mean, therefore presumably straddling the Thames. It's it's very confusing. It was very upsetting from a purely, you know, well, architectural point of view. Point of view yes. Mm. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, of course, it is possible to get to Greenwich from Charing Cross in just a couple of stops. That's so true. I still think there's an amazing Marvel one shot to be made about <laughs> Thor's journey on the tube that day as he has to figure out an Oyster card and has to like change at London Bridge and then gets a DLR and gets a sci-fi seat. That's what I call them, the seats at the front of the DLR. Oh, I love those seats. Oh, pretend you're driving. It's so good. Pretend you're driving like a oh, roller coaster. It. Oh, that's amazing. So, uh, you know, hey, listen, Kevin, call me and uh, let's make this thing happen. I'm sure Hemsworth <laughs> will do it. So uh, also posters, we of course had the Endgame posters, the uh, yes. dusted or not dusted thing, which kicked off. So Shuri did. Well, we knew that Well, we the didn't last know trailer. that, did well, we? we? Well, yes, because her name yeah. came up. And she the was thing. in the trailer. Yeah. No. yeah. All right. Well, then we, we did. knew it. You knew that and I wasn't paying attention well, is what we said. you know, um, par for the course. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the black and white posters for the dusted. Yes. And then the colour posters for the non-dusted. Yes. And Remember the Fallen, which... Avenge the Fallen. Avenge the Fallen, which prompted a slew of memes across the internet, yes, including a particularly nice John Wick one. Where he's looking <laughs> at the dog, uh, which is good. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed this. Yeah. Uh, not nearly as much as I enjoyed the Downton Abbey one sheets, which came out. We saw Lady <laughs> Mary and Lady Edith was in there and Barrow. Oh, it was extraordinary. Oh, also, amazing. with Avenge the Fallen as a tagline. That's or? right. Yeah. So apparently, Lady Edith did not survive the snap. <laughs> the cold no, snap. But she's on the. She's on the poster. So oh, is she? Okay. Lady Sylvia? Sylvie? You're just making up names, aren't you? No, there was a Destiel? third one. She or Matthew's she definitely dead. Cousin Matthew. Cousin Matthew. Matthew. Yeah, he died yeah. in a car crash. Yeah. Oh, was it? Or was it Thanos? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a car crash. That's why the car crashed, because he snapped. He disappeared at the wheel. Yeah, oh, Thanos took God. the wheel. Mm. Thanos take the wheel. Mm. Wow. Um, anyway, yes, so the Avengers posters um, did reveal a couple of people who were, you know, or definitely dead yeah and then um and also had some people that you know were a bit more maybe unexpected so sort of the fact that loki was in there was interesting what is happy 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 yeah and happy and uh or pepper dead. both survived it seems yeah, they're fine which is good news they're all for, good yeah tony they're on the poster the yeah. you know the real credit block john favreau and gwyneth paltrow uh yeah very exciting can i just say justice for maria hill i know right yeah. who is pretty much the only major character who didn't get a poster. Mm. And given the speed with which Marvel reacted to leaving off Denai Guerrero's <laughs> name of the Avengers Endgame poster uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then within mere hours, her name suddenly appeared magically on a uh, reissued version of the poster. I'm quite surprised that they haven't done a Maria Hill one, actually. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Where's Korg? Where's Meek? Where's Korg? Where's Meek? Where's Trevor Slattery? Absolutely. These are questions that keep me awake at night. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> and Valkyrie, though. Got she a got a poster? Yeah, yeah. 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 We knew she was in it, but confirmation that she's in it is, is you know, like it's actually good. there. Yeah. yeah. I have a Marvel question. Bring it. So we heard this week that Angelina Jolie is in talks to join Marvel's The Eternal. See, that's interesting. I say Jolie. 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 Mm. Or je. Jolie. Yeah. 
As in, her mother was French, and so mm-hmm. I'm I'm using a vaguely French pronunciation. Yeah, never do Actually, that again. Why? Um, it's the probably the correct pronunciation of her name. I know that last week we got into the whole psychopathy, psychopathy thing, and I know that psychopathy <laughs> is correct. You're a psychopathy. But I still maintain that that pronunciation is the hallmark of a, a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine the episode of Criminal Minds. We are looking for a psychopath. A what? A psychopath. Hotch wouldn't stand for that. No. Well, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> Certainly not now. He wouldn't. Um, no, but what my question was going to be, like, my Marvel lore is okay. It's pretty pretty good. Mm. I don't know the Eternals very well. Somebody explain. Can someone Eternal explain Girl to me? Girl group. Uh, Liverpoolian. Oh, um, Chris. Or was that Atomic Kitten? <sighs> no, I mean, they've only come up in a couple of the comics that I've read, I'll be honest. Um, but yeah, <laughs> super duper eternal beings. They're like the, you know, the Watchers and the Celestials. Oh. Well, in fact, oh. they're connected to the Celestials. Are they, yeah. is, so is that Eternity and Oahu and the Living Tribunal? I don't remember the family, you know, connections here, I'll be honest. It I was think, a while ago. I think maybe, I'm not sure whether we've met some Eternals already. I think we have in the MCU. I think Jeff Goldblum's an Eternal, I think. But he may also be a Celestial. I thought, might be getting oh. us confused. Either Benicio Del Toro and Jeff Goldblum are yeah. either Eternals yeah. or Celestials. I think they're Eternals. But this is a this is a different thing. This was a Jack Kirby title. My knowledge of it is not really that great. I need to read up on it. Basically, Phase 4 is... The stuff that Helen and I didn't really read, it's like Shang Chi and Eternals. And yeah, we're going to have like to do that. some. Yeah. Oh no, we're going to have to read some more comics, Chris. Oh, oh no. dear, what a death, hardship! Death was an Eternal because Death appears in the end. Like, yeah, Death is Eternal. Speaking of Death, William Sadler is back as Death. I know. In Bill and Ted Face the Music. Oh, so good. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm so, so here for Bill and Ted. Do you think Ted. Station will return? Station. Station. <laughs> the dude who can make one word mean anything. <laughs> Station. Love him. Uh, yeah, it's very exciting. Again, this feels like news that was has already happened. No, well, we knew about sure. Bill's head before. We didn't know about... I'm sure know. I read something about Bill Sadler being Bill. My good friend Bill. Your good friend Bill. <laughs> well, friend Bill given how much of him we saw in Die Hard 2, I think we can all agree he's Bill. We're Ball Sadler. Yeah. This is what we... Yeah, my word. <laughs> it's all happening in that scene. If you pause it just right... You don't even need oh, to dear. pause it. I mean, he's <laughs> butt naked throughout the entire scene. Yeah. Slapping people in the face and all sorts. It's, what yeah. would you stop? <laughs> I would tell that to Bill Sadler. Oh my goodness! But yeah, very excited that uh, that Bill Sadler's coming back. I hope you put some clothes on this time. That's all I can say. Uh, what's the, the you always say this line? Uh, something about the Reaper. You may be a king or a lowly street sweeper, but sooner or later you dance with the Reaper. <laughs> Although I would say it in his faux Germanic accent, yeah. but I'm not going to do that. He says it's so much better than that. Like yeah. imagine that, but like really, really good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I'm looking to see what happened this week. Uh, Us did really well at the US box office. It, did. it, uh, it, it pulled did. in uh, something like $70 million in this opening weekend. It's got five on it. it has, it's got 70 on it, in fact. Uh, the third highest R-rated horror opening of all time. The highest opening, this is a weird stat, the highest opening for an original live-action film since Avatar. Sometimes it feels like they're they're just making up yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. The highest opening for a film with someone who has the word J in his name directing on a Sunday a film. I don't fucking know. <laughs> hey, it matters, okay? It's good. Yeah. It's a great result. We'll have any of how... you read Mouse Guard? No. No, so that's a comic. I've heard nothing but good things about the Mouse Guard comic. I've never read it myself, but Idris Elba is in talks to join a Mouse Guard movie, which is kind of exciting. So, And he's been joined by someone else this week. Who is it, Chris? Uh, Sonoya Masuno, who okay. can be seen in Crazy Rich Asians yeah, yeah, yeah. and Maniac. 
and she joined the cast. Now, Deadline is saying that she plays a title role, but I'm pretty sure the title role is a group of mice yeah. rather than one there, specific there mouse. There are foxes but, and cats and other stuff yeah. in it as well. So Andy Serkis is, this is all mocap. This is Wes Ball, yeah. the director of the Maze Runner trilogy. And so it's Tommy Sporty Sangster as a sort of young, up-and-coming mouse who's a bit timid but proves his courage. Andy Serkis is the bad guy. Idris Elba will play a, an Obi-Wan Kenobi-style mentor, apparently. Yes. Uh, this sounds fantastic. I really need to check out this this graphic novel because mm. it sounds pretty much bonkers. And then Sonoya Mizuno has joined the cast as well. Mm. Presumably, we think maybe in the lead role. So uh, interesting cast coming together, and you'll you'll see them squeaking around. Uh, hopefully, this time next year or so. Hooray! Uh, Sonequa Martin Green has joined another interesting film. She's joined Space Jam Two. She's going to be playing. We think there's a speculation anyway. The wife of LeBron James' character. Now, yeah, Space Jam. I cannot sanction this buffoonery. Well, like for a certain for a certain generation, which is perhaps a bit younger than we are. But it came out right in our wheelhouse, so it I should know. be it should be the movie that I basketball. worship. It's about basketball. I think I'm maybe aware, yeah. it didn't. Maybe that's a reason it did not necessarily connect with us as the youth of the UK. Mm, it didn't have enough Marvin the Martian for me. Like I felt like that was what yeah. was missing. I'm excited about it. Well, sure, it's gonna sure. be good. Could be fun. Ryan Cooker's gonna produce. Terence Nant is going to direct. Hey, look, if Commander Michael Burnham is in it, mm-hmm. I'm on board. LeBron James, who is not only a supporter of Liverpool Football Club, but also a part shareholder. Oh, so I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm all for it. Any success uh, for him enriches my team. So I'm pretty happy because then he can buy more. I don't know how it works. Anyway, anything else? Yeah, um, Sam Mendes is beginning work on his uh, World War One drama, 1917. That's um, cool. Which is very cool because he has recruited Benedict Cumberbatch, Colin Firth, Richard Madden, Mark Strong, Andrew Scott, Daniel Mays, Adrian Scarber, Jamie Parker, wow. Naban Rizwan, and Claire de Burke, all for his cast. That's a hell of a cast. It is not bad at all, is it? George Mackay. Just... No, I won't. George Mackay and Dean Charles Chapman are already uh, on board as the leads, as the sort of young soldiers at the heart of the story. It's apparently set during a single day during the height of the conflict. Roger Deakins is going to be shooting. Oh my god! Thomas Newman is composing. You know, I'm I'm looking forward for this one. It's due Christmas Day this year, apparently, uh, according to the US release schedule. So I can see that. I can see yeah. that. Yeah, there's no not a lot of CG, some practical stuff. Just yeah. turn it around real quick. That that could be cool. And it is interesting that the Deeks is not shooting June, for example. He's not reteaming with Denis Villeneuve. Good point. That's Greg Fraser is going to be shooting that movie. So interesting. Mm. Must not. Speak. Oh God! I said the D word. Oh no! no. Quickly, Helen. No, we should talk about something else. Literally anything. Jesse, did, did you see the comedy oh. news that went around about uh, Christian Bale putting on six hundred and fifty thousand pounds to play a sandworm? <laughs> I was about to report that as fact. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another yeah. news: Christian Bale has joined the cast of June <laughs> as the planet Arrakis. Is that what it's called? It is. That is the name <gasps> of the planet. Oh, I'm Chris, learning. You are. You are. I'm testing the fences. Planet Arrakis, also known as. Sandy Planet? Dune. Dune. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is a there is a thought behind this, you know. Yeah. Like, Jeff a... Planet? Jeff, I don't, Jeff I don't really know. Yeah, Captain Planet. Yeah. Captain Planet. Wow, um, that's exciting. So, yeah, yes, no. what were you it saying? Was, it, was a, it was a lawsome parody story about Christian Bale, which many, many people sent me the link to, and it was very funny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so apologies for saying the, the D word, but I did mention Jessie Buckley there. Uh, she has joined the cast of Charlie Kaufman's new film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, is based on a novel by Ian Reid and she will play the girlfriend of Jesse Plemons' character and they are en route to meet his parents I think for the first time the parents will be played by David Thewlis David Thewlis and uh, Tony Collette Ooh. and 
Brie Larson was going to star in this movie. She was going to play this role and she has dropped out for reasons unknown. Jessie Buckley has replaced her. Now, Jessie Buckley, uh, Irish actress, you'll see her in Beast and you should see her in a couple of weeks' time in Wild Rose. She's incredible in that film. Amen. And we had her in this very booth a few weeks ago. I interviewed her for Wild Rose. You'll hear that in a future episode. And I asked her what she was doing next and she said, I can't say, but I'm off to New York for two months. It must have been this. Whoa. I was like Woodward and Bernstein just getting the scoop. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. Jesse Buckley and making that film. Very, very exciting news indeed. And um, we have some sad news to end the news section on uh, the deaths of two horror movie legends. First of all, the writer, producer, director Larry Cohen, who died this week at the age of 77. Incredible off kilter oddball works. He directed and produced and wrote things like The Stuff, Cue the Winged Serpent. God Told Me To, the It's Alive trilogy about killer babies. Uh, he was also a prolific screenwriter. Uh, he worked in black exploitation movies back in the 1970s as well. He directed a film called The Ambulance. And he also wrote, notably, in the same year, he sold screenplays for both Phone Booth and Cellular. So in a weird way, Helen, wow, he is pivotal to Chris Evans' cinematic development. He really is. That yeah. Larry Cohen. No Cellular. Without No Cellular, there's probably no Fantastic Four, no Fantastic Four, there's no Captain America, there's Whoa. no Captain America, then, you know, what are you going to do no yourself? There's no Captain America's beard. I mean, I, I don't even know what, how we would live. Yes. I interviewed him a few few years ago for Empire, and he was mm-hmm. really funny and switched on, and uh, yeah, but apparently the last few years have been quite tough for him as well. So, uh, But he is fantastic. If you don't really know his stuff, then check it out. There's loads of great stuff. He also wrote Maniac Cop, which is a fantastic oh, yeah. uh, horror movie, movie as well. Larry Cohen, who died this week. And this week we also lost Joe Palato, the actor Joe Palato, at the age of 70. Uh, Joe Palato, I think really most people will know him for one role and one role only, and that was as the psychotic, or uh, as James might say, psychotic, Captain Rhodes in George A. Romero's Day of the Dead, the best of that trilogy. Come at me, bros, come at me. And his performance in that is simply terrifying. He is unhinged from the off and he only starts at 11 and he somehow manages to go even higher after that as well. And, um, you know, this is a 30-odd-year-old movie, so I don't think it's spoiling too much to say that Captain Rhodes has perhaps the most iconic and certainly most grisly death scene in horror movie history. I won't say too much. I will just say three words. Choke on him. And he was terrific in that. Again, I interviewed him a few years ago for Empire, the loveliest, loveliest guy. And I do feel that maybe somehow that film, it didn't do that well at the box office when it first came out. That probably didn't help. But also the sheer impact and power of that performance kind of typecast him in a way. And his career after that didn't really hit the heights of Day of the Dead. But that one performance, some actors do not get that performance in their career. Mm. And Joe Pilato got it. If you have not seen Day of the Dead, sorry for the spoilers, but check it out. After this podcast, you will not be disappointed. So, yes, very, very sad news. Larry Cohen and Joe Pilato, who died this week. And before we get on to our second guest, it is time for our contractual obligation section. This is where we talk about some other podcasts that you should listen to. Uh, First up, Jimbo, what's on the Pilot TV podcast this week? Thanks, Jimbo. So, we should (laughs) also talk about the... (laughs) You're a terrible, terrible man. Go on, what's on it? I spoke to Joel Kinnaman and Mireille Enos for Hannah the Mm -hmm. Amazon Prime adaptation of the Joe Wright film, and we tackle the latest releases with the final season of Veep, season two of Barry, and the HBO documentary... Go back, go back, go back. What do you mean season two of Barry? You've seen episodes of season two of Barry? Oh, yeah. How much of season two of Barry have you seen? There are three episodes of Episodes three there are. Episodes three there are. 
And? Yeah. Oh, it's good, except I didn't actually finish watching season one, so I've had to do a little bit of a catch-up beforehand. But yeah, it's funny. Previously uh, on Barry. Exactly that. I very much enjoyed it the first time when I reviewed the, the first season, and it seems to have lost none of its charm. I will grill you intensely you, after you, this. You may do all that. And we're also covering the, the Adnantia documentary, which is on Sky Atlantic. The uh, riposte to serial, if you will. Also, I watched the thick of it and find it quite funny. There you go. Look forward to that. You can sanction this buffoonery. I can. I sanction that buffoonery because it has creative swearing and mean-spiritedness, both of which I enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) We should also mention this week's latest episode of Q Presents The Making Of from our sister magazine, Q Magazine. They do for music what we do for movies. And this week, Ted Kessler, the editor of Q, is interviewing the young singer-songwriter Soak. Who the hell is that? This week they've interviewed someone I haven't heard of, um, but I should have heard of her because she's from um, from Northern Ireland. Oh, yeah. She is from Derry. Excellent. She's a Derry girl. Slash London Derry. Have to be fair, Helen. Have to be fair. Mm, Have to walk both sides, don't we? Don't we really? Stroke City, as they say. Reaching across the divide, Chris. That's what it is. (laughs) Are you watching London Derry Girls? uh, I'm watching Derry Girls. Have you heard of that? I haven't. I haven't. Uh, In my house, we can't know. It's very good. The season two is... Series two is very, very good. Um, Anyway, her real name is Bridie Mounds Watson. And uh, she talks about why Derry can no longer contain her, what she stole from Avril Lavigne, and how one day she'll resurrect her first band, Peeing in the Dark. Peeing in the Dark? Peeing in the Dark. Did you know, when R.E.M. first formed, they weren't called R.E.M. right away, and they had like some alternate names. One of the names was Twisted Kites, which is a terrible, terrible name. One other name they toyed with was Cans of Piss, and they decided not to go with it in the end. But when they played two very, very secret shows in 1991 at the Borderline in London, just around the corner from this, this venue, as a matter of fact, they performed under the name... Bingo hand job. So, there you go. I know that stuff. <laughs> but you don't know who Soak is. I don't know who Soak is. Anyway, I look forward to hearing it. I look forward to hearing it as well. Time now for our second guest, and he's another legend, and this time he is a directorial legend. How He is the wonderful, weird, he says it himself, about himself, and wacky Tim Burton, whose hair is still very Tim Burton-esque. <laughs> he is directed, I mean, should we list films? I like doing this. Sure. Let's go alternate, right? Oh, okay. Okay, PB's Big Adventure. Edward Scissorhands. Batman. Batman Returns. Ooh. <laughs> Edward. Um, big Fish. Damn it! Planet of the Apes? <laughs> anyway, he's made loads of great films. That's the point we're trying to make, and he's wonderful, and one of the few directors in the world, I think, you can actually bestow the word visionary upon without looking like a douchebag. And he is back in cinemas this week with Dumbo, which is the latest live-action rejig of a Disney animated classic and this one is twice the length and it is about an elephant and you will believe an elephant can fly and all that sort of stuff and I went along and had a chat with him in a London hotel room last week and a good time was had by all well you anyway well one of us (laughs) do please enjoy delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the director of Dumbo the legendary Mr Tim Burton how are you sir great it's great to be here oh it's great to have you here yes yeah this is my home at the moment, Britain, so it's great, to, it's, it's great to be back. Yeah. How long have you been in Britain now? Well, I know. I first came over in 1988 for a couple of years, uh-huh. and then um, another couple of years on Sleepy Hall, and then since 2000, 2000, really. So oh, my God. I've lived here more than I've lived in my homeland. Do you feel British? What's, what part of you is British? I feel like an alien. So I actually felt at home... When I first came here, because I felt 
like an alien, which I felt like in my own country. So yeah. I, I think I like being a foreigner. I just feel comfortable. Like I guess that's the way I felt. So <laughs> I guess I, I'm used to it. Yeah. Is that something that fuels a lot of your films? Because even Dumbo has that, that, that theme of being a foreigner, being an outsider. Yeah. I didn't realize when I responded to Dumbo so quickly, I realized, well, this is like my story with Disney, you know? <laughs> This weird little special little weird creature coming to work with a big family entertainment yeah. organization, you know? It's yeah. like, hmm. <laughs> special but weird, freakish little character. That we can't don't really know what speak to do very with well, you know? Yeah. So it was like basically my history with Disney, this movie. <laughs> yeah, because obviously you and Disney go way back. Uh, you had Not me, Walt, personally. But no, of course not, yes, but, but the, the company, the, yeah. the big old company. You know, I mean, that's, what, that's what's so funny about the movie is like, it is my history with Disney, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, when I was starting there, I was the weird, you know, weird kind of animator that didn't quite fit into doing the animation, mm-hmm. you know, basically... Mm-hmm. Change an elephant for a lousy assistant animator, and you had the whole story right there. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but does that mean that when you were tackling this movie, uh, did that deliberately feed into it, or was that something that came from your subconscious in a way? You know, when it first when it first hit me, because you know in the Disney library <laughs> being opened up, uh, Dumbo was the one that that hit me strongest, and, and I and I thought, well, all the Disney movies, it's not my favorite movie, I would mm-hmm. say, it's been said, but it's like something that hit me strongly, and then, you know, then analyzing it quickly, it's like, well, yeah, obviously the kind of character I agree with, but it was like my time at Disney. I felt like that kind of thing, like, I feel special, but I feel like I'm treated strangely, like you're mm. weird, and like I felt as a child, you're strange, mm. you're you're weird, and you know, Dumbo then represents that kind of taking that kind of the way people think of you and a disadvantage and using it to some beautiful advantage. So all those kind of things in weird family, which, you know, film families are like that and mm. Disney families and Warner Brother families. <laughs> and there's a lot of t- different types of families. You yeah, know? of course. And you're right. And the, the family in this movie, each of them has... Each of them has a, a, a quirk, is maybe the wrong way of saying it, but or, or disadvantage in a way. Colin has a, yeah, an arm yeah. missing after the the yeah. war. Well, that's what yeah. I liked. About, that's what I liked about. It. Obviously, you're not going to remake the movie. So, yeah, of course, the, the themes of what Dumbo, you know, represents the themes of being different. You know, loss. You know, the kids lost their mother. You know, the whole character lost his wife, mm-hmm. his arm, his job. You know, and is a disability disadvantage. You know, people look at him weird just because of the way, you know, he's got a missing arm. You know, uh, Eva's character is misplaced, the circus people. So all those themes of finding your place in the world and, and who you are and using it to your advantage, you know, to me is a very positive message that, you know, was something that, that, that Dumble as a single image kind of represents. When you're making a movie like this, do you start with as blank a page as possible? Does the animator and you go, all right, I need a blank page. I need to sketch this thing from, from the, in terms of the setting, in terms of the year, in terms of everything like well, that? Well, no, I mean, when I got the script, it was set in the year it was set. And okay. I just felt that that was good because mm-hmm. it just felt 
what we were just talking about, all the different themes involved. You know, and there are certain times in history where it's always changing, but there are times where it kind of leaps, and this is a time of change, you know. Mm. Always those historical moments. And end of World War One. you know, technology things going into movies and from you know different tech things and 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 people feeling displaced and circus people you know it just felt like yeah. a good setting for that uh that that kind of uh with those themes over the years you've been very loyal to cast members you seem to cast a lot of the same people over and over again and this movie is like the a treasure trove of tim burton stalwarts so obviously you have danny devito amazing evergreen yeah. amazing yeah. And hooking back up again with Michael Keaton, yeah. which warmed my heart. Well, you know, I hadn't seen, and then Alan Arkin, who I worked with, of course, on, 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 on Scissorhands. So, but the weird thing with Michael was I hadn't, I hadn't talked to the guy. I see, I didn't really, I hadn't talked to him in like twenty years. You know, not for any reason. It's yeah. just we circus people move around, right? <laughs> so, but then I saw him, right? And then I worked with him, and it was like I'd seen him yesterday, and it was such a beautiful experience that way to. Mm. Not see somebody for twenty years, mm-hmm. and then get right back into like we'd worked and clicked into it yesterday, you know, and that was a, a beautiful thing. And Danny DeVito, of course, you know, I reminded it freaked me out to realize that we'd done three circus movies together: <laughs> yes, Batman Returns, Big Fish, and I said, "This ends the circus trilogy. No more." This is the unofficial. We don't even like the circus, so you know. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I don't like the circus either. I mean, no. you know, clowns. No, 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 but no, see, no that's thanks. the other thing that's kind of freaked me out about all this stuff is like, I've made all these circus movies and I, I never liked the circus. So, you know, the idea of animals being forced to perform is yep. not my idea of fun. You know, clowns are definitely not my idea of fun. <laughs> and, you know, death defying acts, you know, you, what are you going to do for a nice time? This is like yeah. horrifying. It's like a horror show. <laughs> yeah. It's like Circus of Horrors is a more real example of the circus. Yeah. But on the other side of it is the um, the idea of the circus. You know, that whole thing when you're a child, the guy, I'm going to run away to the circus, mm. right? It's like, well... You basically, it's an idea. You basically you feel weird and misplaced, and you're going to run away with a bunch of other weirdo, misplaced people. Yeah. You know that's the sort of beauty of the idea of the circus. And so you see that? Do you see that as analogous then to the filmmaking process? You mentioned that you've said circus a couple yeah. of times, actually. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, that's why I, I did a movie Ed Wood, which you know had a yeah. that kind of weird dysfunctional family yeah. kind of circus film family theme. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's why you know, like Fred Fellini's films, you know, some about the circus, but even the ones that aren't, you mm-hmm. know, the circus-like aspect to life and and families and things that are that I think are just there. Did you pick up? Uh, you said you you hadn't spoken to Michael Keaton in about twenty years. Yeah. Did you pick up straight where you yeah, left off? Straight up. Yeah, that was what I'm saying. It was really weird, and it was really great. Yeah. And it was really great. And Danny I hadn't seen for a while and, and Alan. And what was great to me is when you hadn't seen people in a long time, but then you see them again and you kind of pick up very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. You know what I mean? It's a, it, 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 so it was a lot of good energy for me on the set with all those people. It, st- it strikes me that uh, when you and Michael Keaton work together, he, he makes interesting choices. And you are the type of director who allows those choices yeah, to breathe. He, he, when I first met him on Beetlejuice, you know, this guy, you know, this was kind of a very kind of kind of improv-y kind of thing. I mean, there was a script and everything, but, but it was a bit more improv And, you know, Michael was, 
you know, came from comedy. So he had a very good instinct for that kind of stuff, you know. Mm. And he's got that, that's why I wanted to be Batman. He's got that kind of caged animal quality behind his eyes, you know, that, like, oh, this guy, you can see him wearing a bat suit, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, but that's why, but he looks crazy, you know what I mean? And so he's got that kind of feeling that, 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 um, that energy. Yeah. And so I think whatever role he brings, whatever he, he's just, he's just, you know, he's got that. Absolutely. Uh, there's a, there's a moment, for example, in Batman, which is 30 years old this year now, which is, which blows my mind. I don't know what it does to you. No, no. I said, I said, I said the other, and it, it only hit me that thing. Cause I thought like, wow, that was like 1988 or 89 or something. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, eighty nine yeah. changed the world, man. Yeah. <laughs> changed the industry, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But there's a moment in that. Sorry where... about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. You're to blame, Tim. Yeah, right. It all yeah, comes yeah. from you. Yeah, right. No, it's all yeah, good. No, there was other before that. <laughs> that's true. Um, but there's a moment but when not quite. Okay. Just... In what? In what way? What do you mean? No, no. But it just felt new at the time. You know. What yeah. Mean? It was, oh, it did. It, it was felt... fun at the time. Oh, I remember and we had Pinewood all. See, it was back in the time where you know that's the interesting when you make a film. And things change in the in the in in the industry and stuff. That was when they still had posters on the wall, you know, of the movie, you know. So it was felt really amazing to be a studio like that. I can imagine it was, but it was. This, but what I say was strange because going through the process, it was interesting because it felt new at the time. I felt grateful yeah. because we, you know, people in you know kind of realistic or costumes that are actually not far from today yeah do, do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. and then that wasn't done at that time yeah. so it was, so that's the kind of experiences that you know would i do a comic well it would certainly be lacking that certain first enjoyment of feeling like you were creating something mm-hmm. and like, so that 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 did feel special you know, even though everybody didn't like the idea of Michael Keaton, uh, you know, we had to leave the America to make it here because of the uproar. <laughs> Can you imagine today with Twitter, with oh, social yeah, media? No, 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 a lot of things wouldn't be happening if that were happening today. <laughs> Don't worry. There's a moment in Batman, uh, you're talking about knowing that Michael was right for the character. There's yeah. a moment where he confronts the Joker as Bruce yeah. Wayne. He goes, yeah. you want to get yeah, nuts? Yeah, Let's yeah, get yeah, nuts. Yeah, yeah. And that for me is, that's yeah. the quintessential Michael Keaton, Bruce Wayne moment. Yeah, that- that's right. That's what I'm saying. It, it, yeah. It's like the psychology for for us back then is, you know, because interview a lot of different actors, great actors, really good ones. And with, with, um, with Michael, it was just like, the first response is, yeah, this is the kind of guy that would think of wearing a bad outfit, would make it up, you know, and would yeah. because he's not this big hulking thing. He'd do it this. It's it's kind of like a phantom. You'd make something up to intimidate and do something, but you can't do that in your eyes. He's got that in his eyes. Do you know what I mean? So to me, it's like when we put it on. I go, yeah, that that suits you because you look like a crazy mother. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, so. Yeah. And now fast forward all these years to uh, to Dumbo, and uh, I have to ask, and I, I, maybe this is just me, maybe I just see Donald Trump everywhere. Well, yeah, but well, is Michael Payne yeah, Donald Trump? Yeah, even your new dreams probably. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I wouldn't say per se, but I mean, for me, for me, it's sort of based on a lot of people, like what I would call the sociopathic businessmen, kind of yeah. like mogul people that sort of change. You know, you don't know what they are. So to me, it's kind of based on that kind of freakish, like scary narcissist. I mean, you don't even you know you won't want to know, but the character sort of mutates into little different things, and 
I don't know. So it reminded me of certain people I know. The hair. It obviously, it's different. Yeah. But also, it is so yeah. well, interestingly, obviously. Between that and one day, because we were talking about Trump eating fast food, and then I thought about that, and then I was eating a Colonel Sanders Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I think that's where Michael's look kind of came from. <laughs> Somewhere between the two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then getting Dumbo right. Well, that's the weirdest thing. I mean, again, it's a very un- a movie to make. Like, it's very unnerving. They all these amazing actors, mm-hmm. except sets, great art people, mm-hmm. and the only thing you're missing is the main character. You yeah. know, it's quite unnerving. You know, you, we have an idea. You have an idea what you're going for, but you know, the, the physics of a flying elephant and the you know the gravity. You know, I mean, it, it's weird. And you know. People, actors, actors who acted to nothing before in movies, and that's part of part of it. But nothing quite like this, where the main character and the subtlety of it and all this is is it doesn't materialize no matter what. Like like a month ago, really. Yep. What's it like for you as a as a director? It's scary as hell because you know everybody is doing a really good job. Yeah. Except you have no idea. I mean, and I mean this really. Yeah. It's like you really don't know. You can pretend. You can look even a previs. You can do all, but the, for the subtlety of this and the simplicity of this, it was hard to and, and very unnerving. We had an amazing guy Ed who, you know, acted the elephant and, and you know, and I poked people with a stick pretending to be an elephant. You know, we had lots <laughs> of ways to deal with it. Um, you know. But yeah. but 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 in truth, in fact, until it finally got done, you could see the shot get sort of three quarters of the way through, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And still not really know. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just slow, but and I've sp- I've spoken to directors in the past who've maybe not had quite the experience you had, where it comes out well in the end yeah. and it looks great. Yeah. I have spoken to directors who've gone well by the time the finished effect came in, it looked terrible, and I knew my film was sunk. Wow. See, it's it's hard it's hard to to know that. I mean, I remember I was still I think I don't know when the the movie called Howard the Duck came out. I was on the set. <laughs> it was like the first yeah. day of set, and I'll never forget this. It's like, you know, I didn't I didn't even saw the movie, but whatever. Yeah. So they're shooting, and 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 I just sit on the set, and the kid goes, and they're shooting a scene. The kid just goes, "What's it going to look like in the film? Or is it not going to look like that? Is it?" It's like, <laughs> and all this crew is there, and it's like you just feel this kind of cold chill go over everybody. It's like, mm, well, I don't know. I guess I thought that's what it was supposed to look like. Or maybe mm, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't fix it in post. Not Nowadays you I go, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. fix it in the post. Yep. It's, it's all good. Um, Beetlejuice two has been on the agenda for a while. Is that is it actually on the agenda or is that just a rumor? No, it's a rumor. I mean, yeah, it's one of those vile internet rumors. <laughs> if you go to the IMDb right now, Tim, it yeah. says it's your next project. So you need yeah, to do well, something then, about this. Are they controlling my mind or something? Is that, <laughs> they've gone that far to where I think the I IMDb now have to yeah. do what they say. It's now your agent. Okay, okay. they and take ten percent. Okay. I'm sorry, must leave this podcast now. Must go do Beetlejuice 2. Kill. Kill. Do you have something else lined up? No. Or, okay. If Disney Disney are throwing open their 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 back catalog, their you know, and that is expanded this week. Their back catalog is yes. magically well, you know, expanded. I thought I would meld the Star Wars and the Disney universe and do my version of Cat from Outer Space. <laughs> See, oh, I'm yeah. always thinking of synergy with my Disney family. All right, fantastic. Tim Burton, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you Thanks, so much. Man. Nice Thank to you. Talk to you. 
Okay, so that was Tim Burton, and let's start the review section with Dumbo indeed. Helen, you've been out in the country. Yes, and I haven't seen this, which is really upsetting me because I'm quite looking forward to it. I mean, Mm -hmm. Colin Farrell and an elephant who can fly? (laughs) Sign me up immediately. It's like one of your weird sex dreams, isn't it? (laughs) It um, is not, I would like. To. No, no, well. obviously not. No. Yes, for legal reasons, we should absolutely stay. I would like to make it clear. But uh, that's not what this is about. Obviously, this isn't uh, about weird. But it is now an elephant and yes. Colin Farrell. Yeah. Um, but you haven't seen it, so tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Colin Farrell has lost an arm in the war? Yes. World War One. He is a World War veteran, Holt Farrier. Now, right. of course, this is based on the classic Disney animated classic. Mm. <laughs> I mean, more the classic Disney animated <laughs> classic. classic, yes. It's so classic, I said the word classic <laughs> twice. And uh, that was about 64 minutes. I thought it was 77, as you may have heard in the interview. I got it wrong. Mm. It's actually 64. And this elongates it and broadens it out and uh, increases the scope of the tale as well. So there's much more of a human story this time around. So it's set in a circus mm-hmm. still. Obviously. The Medici yeah. Brothers Circus. Danny DeFito plays, there's only one Medici and he plays Max Medici and he is wonderfully, gloriously as Danny DeFito as you could possibly want. It's just after World War One has ended. And Hull Farnier comes back and he is missing an arm and he has lost his wife to Spanish flu during the war as well. And he has just got two children, two children who are pragmatic and into their lives comes this little baby elephant with huge ears. And they What's find his name, Chris? Jeff, I think. Um, I'm not entirely sure the movie doesn't make it clear at any point. But uh, so anyway, this elephant, Jeff, Jeff if you will, or Destiel, uh, <laughs> finds that he can fly with his big old massive flappy ears and that makes the circus famous and people come from miles around to see this this elephant including Donald Trump played by Michael Keaton in this movie <laughs> as a fame glorious billionaire with some sort of weird thing in his head and uh, not a lot in his heart either oh that monster but you know what this movie's been getting reviews that are all across the board from people praising it to people unpraising it mm. and I am in the former camp with this one I thought it was Pretty terrific, actually. I really didn't expect that. There's the weirder, darker side of Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. There's also the sweeter side of Tim Burton, the, the side that's drawn to naives and innocence and has this sort of magical, whimsical side to him as well in the in films like Ed with Scissorhands and even, you know, some of the darker, weirder moments of Batman Returns yeah, have, yeah, a, have a lovely, glorious, gorgeous whimsy to them as well. And this is uh, a sort of reunion of that as well. That's one of the things I think I loved about it, mm. the fact that it's not just Tim Burton, but it's Tim Burton reuniting with uh, so Evergreens in the film yep. as well, but obviously Danny DeFito doing full Danny DeFito and Michael Keaton doing full Michael Keaton, and they haven't worked together in years, and I'm so glad that they finally have. Tim Burton says that there was no reason, really, why they hadn't worked together. I hope he is right, but also I'm kind of regretting now all the movies they hadn't made together over the years. Um, this is really sweet, really fun. Moves that are, you know, maybe it's not the most essential movie ever. The story maybe doesn't entirely grab you. There are moments that maybe I wasn't fully paying attention, but, uh, you know, it's visuals are great. Elephant works. Cool. Good stuff. Awesome. So, how many stars? Four stars, Helen. Four stars. I didn't review this, but I'd, I'd go with that. I'd go with four stars. Or, you do you know, after all see an elephant fly. And how often do you see that? Almost never. It's true. They're not yeah. very aerodynamic. They aren't, indeed. So four stars then for Dumbo. And next in this grand tour of films Helen hasn't seen this week, <laughs> uh, we have The Highwaymen. As I've said before, Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson playing the two Texas Rangers who, spoiler alert, massacred Bonnie and Clyde, basically. I mean, massacred Bonnie and Clyde. Mm. I mean, not fun. But like but, Bonnie and Clyde yeah. were not good people. They're not good people. But that's the thing about this movie, because a lot of the movies about Bonnie and Clyde mm-hmm. have glorified them Mm -hmm. or set them up as folk heroes when really what this movie does is try to present the other side that they were cold-blooded killers 
psychopaths, if you will. And they're barely in the film, as I said before. They're kind of whispers in their, in their own film. And what you get instead is this kind of weird, ornery, kind of buddy movie between this straight-shooting Frank Hamer played by Kevin Costner mm-hmm. and this slightly you know, more of an alcoholic partner in uh, Mainy Gold to play by Woody Harrelson and their back and forth is really interesting this is a slow moving film this isn't going to be for everybody it's two hours and change and it takes its sweet time but it's a bit of a throwback film in many many ways it's almost a weird western it's almost about these two guys who are you know analog guys in a digital world if you will and they are cowboys on their way out they're dinosaurs and they know they're dying out they know their breed is dying out but at the same time they are the only things that can stop these young rapscallions from tearing up that portion of America. So, yeah, I thought this was really interesting. Won't be for everybody, but the performances are to be savoured and there are some really great moments here as well. We gave it three stars. I'd probably go with that, but if you're a Costner completist, then check it out. The Highwaymen on Netflix and in cinemas this week. Jimbo. Hello. You've seen Lords of Chaos, haven't you? Yes, I have. Tell us about it. Well, it's one of the instalments in Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. It is true. It's very true. Uh, Actually, no. that's Lord of Chaos. Oh, sorry, Helen. Mm. This is, in fact, uh, Jonas Ackerlund's new film, and it's a biopic of the Norwegian black metal band Mayhem, and it's based around the genesis of that band and then the associated Norwegian church burnings from the early 90s. Now... I really profoundly, utterly hated this film, but not because it's bad, (laughs) not because it's bad, but it is so violent and so graphic and so unpleasant that I really had difficulty watching it. It actually upset me for the rest of the day. So you need quite a a strong uh, stomach or a lot of metal, if you will, uh, to get through this one. Um, It deals with sort of Satanism and self-harm, very graphic self-harm, murder, there's stabbings, there's an awful lot going on here, and then, of course, a lot of metal music. But it stars uh, Rory Culkin and... Emery Cohen, who plays Homer in the OA, new season of which is out now. Very, oh, very good. You can uh, hear about that on the Pilot TV podcast. Um, um, yeah, I strongly So, really, really great performances in this. They play it very, very well. But I couldn't help feeling that this really, really glorified the violence and just took it up a whole other level. There's a very graphic suicide in it, which is one of the most unpleasant things I've ever seen on screen. There's a murder in it, which is probably the second most unpleasant thing I've ever seen on screen. And it felt like it really reveled in that kind of very sadistic, very graphic violence. And the whole thing just feels really nihilistic and miserable. And in many ways, I guess, fair to the Norwegian black metal scene of the early 90s. But uh, (laughs) Obviously, I'm I'm hugely familiar with the Norwegian black metal scene of the early 90s. But will there be something in it for people who haven't maybe got my knowledge of that scene? Sure. It's like Bohemian Rhapsody if Freddie Mercury was into face paint and church burning. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. And you said you hated this film? (laughs) It wasn't my cup of tea, shall we say. Mm. I gave this two stars. I do think it's not just, and that wasn't just down to my sort of lack of stomach for the gore. I don't think this film necessarily delves into anything beyond the sort of gory headlines of it. There's a lot to do with that sort of black metal scene that this doesn't really explore. So I'm not sure it really does that justice. It's a packed week this week. Also out, we have Carol Morley's neo-noir thriller Out of Blue, uh, which we sadly only gave two stars to. You can see Willem Dafoe's Oscar-nominated performance as Vincent van Gogh or Go. What would you say? Goff. I, I say Goff. And that is from Julian Schnabel, and we gave that four stars. We also gave four stars to Being Frank, the Chris Seavey story, which is about the comedian who played Frank Sidebottom, he of the huge papier-mâché head. Not the Michael Fassbender film that was inspired by very, very different. This was the actual comedian, uh, Chris Seavey. And then three stars to the British comedy Eaten by Lions. 
There we go. That is the review roundup. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. How exciting. Welcome back, Helen. Thank you. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by... Zachary Levi. Ooh. Star of... Well, yes. Anyway, he's a lovely guy, so he's on next week's show. So there we go. Until we meet again, until the auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from the returning Helen O'Hara. Auf Wiedersehen. Because I was in Germany, see? <laughs> How is your German? Because I know your Spanish is great. Not your, your at French all. is pretty... Haven't got any. How is your German not at all? Your English is <laughs> laxing. Your English no, is laxing? I, your English, is, wow. English, laxing. My English is also laxing. I have a few words. Literally a few words. How do you say in German... Steve Rogers is totally going to buy the farm. He's not. He's going to rent. So I wouldn't need to say that. It's fine. <laughs> okay. James, how's your uh, German? My, my German is problematic. I've, I have been called out on this several times on the other podcast for mispronouncing German words. We reviewed How the, often do German words come up on the other podcast? You'd be surprised. We reviewed the TV show adaptation of Das Boot. And just calling it Das Boot is apparently not right. I cannot sanction your Germanic buffoonery. <laughs> and on that note, we have to go. Uh, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Auf Wiedersehen. It is goodbye from James Dyer. Tschüss. <laughs> That's like bye in German. Yeah, man. I'm like multilingual. <laughs> he knows stuff. Yeah. It's goodbye from me also. I am off to brush up on my German. Just off the top of my head, guys, I'm just going to say, Jürgen Klopp is the coolste man der Welt. And on that bombshell, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.